Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, the best friggin' podcast in the world covering Pac-12 football. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio. You can follow the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, you name it. We are there. You can also listen to the podcast for free on our website, Wildcat Radio AZ, which has become a hub. Sorry, WildcatRadioAZ.com, which has become a hub for Pac-12 news, podcasts, advanced statistics, you name it. We are up on that site. Go there. It's awesome. We have our survivor pool. We're doing all of our contest results on there. And of course, Rob's beta rank uh, advanced college football numbers are up there. Every team. Um, and Rob, I really loved, uh, by the way, Rob Barron's on the podcast. What's going on, Rob? Oh, I'm, uh, it was a, it was a rough week for the conference, but I'm excited to talk football. Yeah. And I really liked the team by team breakdown you did with the advanced statistics. Definitely check that out for week two. I'm assuming that's coming up your numbers. If I'm not mistaken, will be updated for week two in a couple of days. Is that correct? They should actually be updated. Uh, I'm only waiting at this moment on the Miami LSU game to complete. Um, and that's it. Once I have those, um, I should be able to run the model. So I would expect I have them uh, out sometime tomorrow with some uh, updated crafts and things like that. Real numbers, real games. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> like really excited. Yeah, I mean, there's with one with one week's worth of data. Most of it is still made up of preseason projection. About seventy five percent of it, but. We're, we'll work that preseason data out as the season goes on. Yeah, we'll take what we can get. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, check check all that out. By the way, there's, like, radar charts, and every team's up on there. Even if you're, like, a fan of a team that's not in the Pac-12, we have – just just go there. It's awesome. And we are joined by a new guest who really is an old hand here at Wildcat Radio and bring glad to bring him on to the 12-Pack Radio podcast, Mr. Rick Powell. What's going on, Rick? Bang, bang, Bryant. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that – I did really bad, really poorly picking my my games against the spread this weekend. I was right? I was thinking that yes, yeah. See, but what you don't know is that I'm actually baiting our listeners into thinking that I'm the layup, I'm the cupcake that they're going to have to to get through week one in our upcoming contest because I want to take everybody on and I want to take them out. I'm just biding my time, man. That's a bold strategy, Rick. A bold strategy. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. Fortune favors the bulls, by the way. So, <laughs> so no, no, I'm glad to have you. Um, uh, Rick has written for the Bleacher Report and a couple other Arizona websites. He wrote our breakdown for the Arizona BYU game, but he is also a Pac-12 savant with us. He's been doing our sleazy bets for uh, literally years on the Wildcat Radio podcast, and we talk so much about the Pac-12. Wanted to bring him onto this podcast, and he will be a regular fixture as we continue. And uh, let's let's just talk some general vibes about what happened this week and then what we're going to do is go into uh our sleazy bets for uh this coming week too and as we do that we'll kind of really go into detail about what happened in some of these pac-12 games but uh, rick let's start with you what were some of the biggest surprises what stood out for you most uh in the conference of champions in week one well i think really for me the the biggest takeaway from this weekend was just how good the quarterback play um across the pac-12 was this this week um i was really really impressed by steven montez of colorado um, I thought Kijan Costello had a really good game for Stanford. Tyler Huntley, I thought, played above his 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 level probably a little bit for Utah. Um, so you know, you add those into the guys that we were already expecting to be good. And, you know, the Justin Herberts and the Jake Brownings of the world. 
all of a sudden the Pac-12 is looking like a really premier quarterback conference again. So I'm excited. That's a really good point. And it was kind of that lower tier. And I don't mean that as like a backhanded compliment, but you had, like you mentioned, Jake Browning, Khalil Tate, you know, uh, Justin Herbert. But below that, we, and we've been talking about this on the podcast, you know, Manny Wilkins, like you mentioned, Steven Montez had four touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Herbert threw for five touchdowns, by the way, which is crazy. He had a Stanford team that literally got bottled up in terms of Bryce Love and their running game. And it was KJ Costello that came to the rescue and, and really pushed them forward to not only win that game, but really stomp on San Diego State, a team that had a really good defense. So I'm glad you brought that up. What we want to try to do is give some love. Garter Mitchu over at Washington State uh, just, just punched Wyoming in the face on the road, which is not normal for a Mike Leach uh, offense or team just in general. Rob, what else stood out for you when it came to the Pac-12 this week? I mean, I think there was there were some positives. Um, I think that I, I mean, I was at the Washington or I mean the Oregon State uh, Ohio State game, and I was pleasantly surprised by Jonathan Smith's effect on the offensive play calling um, and getting. You know, I, I thought Oregon State they'll they'll probably still lose a bunch of games, but I don't know that they'll be as bad as we expected. Um, I thought Washington actually played better than I was expecting against Auburn, even though they lost um, those. You know, losing as close as they did to a team that projects to be as good as Auburn uh, and being down two turnovers with it is uh, a statement that I think Washington might be a little better than we thought. And I think that they're, I had thought they were going to be the best team in the Pac 12 already. Um, but then you start, you know, with a bunch of question marks like USC gave up a ton of rushing yards, UCL. I mean, it was, there was some, there was a lot of good and there was definitely some bad in the conference this this week and you definitely have to look at it and say like Khalil Tate and Bryce Love um, did not help their chances with the Heisman Trophy this week. No, absolutely. And for all of the good quarterback play you saw, obviously Khalil Tate laid a huge egg uh, trying to push stuff. And if you want a, a full breakdown of that game, listen to our other podcast, Wildcat Radio. Um, we just talked for 30 minutes about <laughs> the, the crap show that was the Arizona offense and defense uh, against BYU. So we have uh, fully covered that elsewhere. But in addition to Khalil Tate, I thought Jake Browning had moments where he really could have stepped up as a quarterback, didn't quite do it. Um, he had that major fumble at the end. I loved that Auburn-Washington game, by the way. I thought that Washington's defense really stepped up, and it was really a privilege to watch them play. They have a talented defense, one of the best in the country, and you could have, you saw why. They were on a big stage and really pulled through. But it, you look at Jake Browning, and we had uh, – Rob, you and I had the law dog from the uh, dog pod up on the podcast. And one of the things he said was like, I can't tell you how many times as a Washington fan, you see a 20 yard pass and he goes for the seven yard pass when you need eight yards. And that was exactly what Jake, Jake Browning was Jake Browning in that game and uh, did not help any, <laughs> any criticism aimed toward him. We could definitely break that game down a little bit more. We go through all the teams, but uh, I thought one of the things that was interesting too is you had all these new coaches come to you know their first game. You had a lot of um, the pageantry surrounding it. Chip Kelly falls straight on his face against a bad Cincinnati team. Obviously, Kevin Sumlin just looked inept against a BYU team that is not a Power Five team at all. Um, and and freaking Herm Edwards, man, just stomped the crap out of uh, Texas San Antonio. He came out looking squeaky clean. This uh, <laughs> this guy now, granted, yeah, Texas San Antonio ahead. wasn't the best team. But I think we all picked for them to cover that 18-point spread, and they did not do that. What were you saying, Rob? No, I mean, I, I think that's right. And, like, we're – in some ways, we're off to the future already. I mean, like, Dorian Thompson-Robinson's playing already at UCLA. So, 
Um, Cal had major quarterback major quarterback problems yeah, and that quarterback that? questions. Uh, and oh, and there was one more that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's like across the conference, like it was a it was an interesting weekend with a, <laughs> definitely a lot to talk about. But yeah, Cal uh, Cal looked. As much as you could say Arizona looked utterly offensively inept, um, Cal looked like they, I mean, like they weren't even there to play offense. And they played three quarterbacks, and who's going to start? Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, one thing I should mention, too, is we want this podcast to be interactive. Like, we want to talk about what you want to talk about. So we're always going to do the sleazy bed segment. We're always going to do our... um, our survivor pool and listener contest and all that stuff. But if you want us to cover a specific portion of your team, like if you're a Cal fan, if you're one of the 10 Cal fans in the world and you're like, can you please, for the love of God, talk about how we started three quarterbacks, basically <laughs> put them on the field. At the, like that was just mind boggling. I can't believe that actually happened. We would be glad to set aside a couple, a couple minutes to, you know, talk about the things that you guys want to talk about. So send those recommendations to our Twitter account, which is at 12 pack radio, one, two PAC radio. That's at 12, pack radio rick are we missing anything else before we get into our sleazy bets here um i don't think we gave enough credit to the best player in the pac 12 in his performance this weekend so you're talking about nikhil uh, harry nikhil yes. harry i you know we had all these guys getting uh, a lot of hype you know for the, for the beginning of, of the the season and i don't think that we did a good enough job of talking about just how good Nikhil Harry is. I think he's a top 10 pick in next year's NFL draft. Um, and I think he's the best player in the conference and he showed it very much. So against UTSA, Rob, we finished our, I, I feel like I talked a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I didn't talk about him enough. But maybe it's just because I, we I just did our ASU. That. We just yeah, did it, 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 There you go. <laughs> and I, I even did a Crayola drawing of him catching a fader out in the clouds. Come on, Rob. Where you, or come on, Rick. Where you been? Uh, no, but I, honestly, when we were talking in our ASU podcast, which was the last one we did, which Rob, you just referenced, one of the things that we talked about was will Herm Edwards and this offensive uh, staff get him the ball because he is the best possible thing they have? And the answer is yes. I mean, they really did make sure that he got the ball and he was he was in a position to succeed. And, uh, and he did. So so uh, congratulations to them as much as it pains me as a Wildcat fan to say that. Uh, it is a, it is fun to watch players like him play uh, the sport, and uh, and that was pretty exciting. So uh, good, good on you, Rick, for bringing that out front and center. With that, let's get into our sleazy bets. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? All right, all right. Our sleazy bet segment is when we go through all the Pac-12 games, talk about what happened. We're going to take a look at the games moving forward and make our bets against the spread. Again, we have a contest coming up, so pay attention on this front. It's going to drop in two weeks now. Basically, what's going to happen is we are keeping track of all of our records against the spread. All six hosts of Wildcat Radio are going out. We're publicly saying what our picks are, and you will find out who the champion is, and we'll have some contests among us. What's important for you 
is that we are going to drop a contest. And what it is, is this. You have an opportunity to challenge our hosts, Mono E Mono, to a picks against the spread off. And if you can beat all six of our hosts, you can only do, you only challenge one host a week. But if you can win six weeks in a row, it doesn't have to be, you know, back to back to back. It could be one week and then you take three weeks off. But as long as you defeat, all six of our hosts, we will we will give you a sleazy prize, and I'm uncertain what it is yet, but it's going to be awesome. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to continue to put the rules up. They'll be on our website, Wildcat Radio AZ. So stay tuned. It's called Run the Gauntlet. With that said, we, we had an okay start. We had, Rob, you were six and four. Congratulations. I was six and four, and I did pick Stanford. I went back and re-listened to the pod. <laughs> did I did I give you did I did I give you the wrong uh, thing? You gave me San Diego State, uh, and I actually at the very end of that I rambled on for a little bit, so I can I could fully understand not listening to all of it. But I picked Stanford at the end, so so you you were seven and three. I'm ama- I'm a, I'm amazing. The preseason model's amazing. I, I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly I mostly stuck with what the model said. That's impressive. Seven and three in the first week is quite good. Um, Rick Denice. I don't expect that to hold up. Well, yeah, especially. I mean, Rick is a fiend. Rick won all. Th- Rick Denice ran all three of our contests last year, which was really hard to do. He ran. He ran the gauntlet like for real. Uh, he was six and four this week. We had a couple guys that were six and five. So Ronnie was six and five. Adam was six and five. I was four and six. And really, the last couple games burned me. I, I did the total homer thing. I took UTSA. I took Arizona and that just really stabbed me in the throat um and so I was four and six and the caboose the caboose is on the loose Rick Powell like you mentioned two and eight how does it feel to uh uh to really just show what incompetence can be like you know it's not it's we're not gonna chalk it up to incompetence we're just gonna chalk it up to uh to me taking bigger risks you know you only get one life, one life to live. <laughs> you got to live it to the fullest, man. Right on. Well, you'll be back. I know, Rick, you, you uh, always uh, end up making a push at some point. So uh, we will welcome that. So let's let's start, right? Okay, so Saturday, 9 a.m. on ABC, Arizona is a four-point favorite at Houston. They started as a six-point favorite. That has dropped to four. Uh, just going into this game, I know, again, if you want the full breakdown, you can follow on Wildcat Radio. AZ. But Arizona dropped their first game to BYU at home. This offense looked incompetent. Khalil Tate ran eight times for 14 yards. Um, and if you've taught, if you've read anything about Khalil Tate and you look at that stat line, you go, that can't be right. We're missing a zero and we are not. Like he was a mess on the ground. Um, on the air, he wasn't terrible. 17 to 34, 197 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but BYU just shoved this Arizona team around. Uh, this offensive line for the Wildcats is not in good shape and their defense is uh i would even argue even though they gave up 28 points better than it was last year i thought there were some some bright spots on there with that said they go into houston where they will face ed oliver with an offensive line that is running around like a bunch of mimes and and this could get interesting uh let's just kind of open up guys what did you think about this game in a couple sentences and what do you think about uh what's going up against houston um, well, I think Houston gave up 27 points to Rice, so that bodes well for Arizona's offense. Yeah, I, you know we've we've said it in in kind of you know our our, our season previews when we talked about the game briefly. Um, it's really going to come down to the performance of Ed Oliver and his ability to uh, make tape make that bad decisions and to stop the Arizona run game. Um, and I think as Ed Oliver goes, so goes the Houston defense. So. 
Um, it's, there's going to be a big focus on Arizona trying to keep the ball away from him and get it out and get it into space early and often. And as long as they stick to that game plan, I think Arizona has a pretty good shot to pull off the upset here. One thing to mention, too, this is Kevin Sumlin's homecoming of sorts. He made his name at Houston, and we had a chance to see Houston a few years ago. Obviously, it's a different team, but this is not an overly talented offense. So if there's one thing going for Arizona, it's the fact that uh, we have an interesting defense that has some pieces to it, but some really <laughs> big question marks also and red flags, I would argue. And they will. I, it will be really interesting to see what they can do against Houston. BYU, by the way, is not an offensive powerhouse. This uh, defense gave up 28 points. I would, Rob, if you were to to kind of take a venture to guess how many points this Houston offense would score against Arizona's defense, is 28 points-ish around kind of what you would expect? Uh, I might. Expect, I, mean, I think they're a better offense than BYU. Um, and I think Applewhite's a better play caller um, than an offensive mind, although I, I can't remember if he's playing calls, calling plays for them or not. But I, I think that they could get into the 35 range um, against this Arizona defense. I think Arizona's going to have to put up some points in this game to, to get out with the win. Um, but this, I mean, so Houston's actually a four. Houston opened as a four and a half or a four point favorite. Now they're four and a half in this game. Um, the preseason model has Arizona as a roughly a 66% chance of winning this game. Um, I would anticipate once I actually get some the the first week of data completed out, it'll be closer to a, a push. You know, um, I I'd be I, I like I still like Arizona's chances in this game, even with you know totally blowing it against BYU. The one problem, Rick, is on the road. Right, this this crowd's going to be fired up. Kevin Sumlin just fell on his face. Uh, he left that program, although he left it in good hands, and he left it on a good. I don't know how like they liked whether or not he left in the personal like portion of that, but Houston certainly was in a better position, you know, when he left than before he was there. Uh, but they are going to be loud and rowdy, and it's not often where you have a Power Five conference come to your place if you're a Group of Five team. How worried are you about this crowd affecting the game? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think that Arizona, it'll be a good, uh, good test for them to, to be on the road in a hostile environment early, because it's not like you're going to get any favors when you go to the majority of these Pac-12 stadiums when it comes to, to fan play. Um, you know, 75 percent of, of the Pac-12 teams are going to have crowds of 50,000 plus. So um, it, it's definitely a good opportunity for for Khalil Tate, especially to to be in a hostile environment and um, hopefully it'll settle them down a little bit more. I, I'm not really sure um, what to expect offensively coming into this game, but uh, I'm as optimistic as Rob in the sense that uh, based on all of our preseason models and everything like that, it does still have Arizona coming out on top. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm still leaning more towards this being an Arizona win. Then okay. I'm not at this point. So who are you going to take? I'm going to take Arizona in the points. Okay. Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, Rob, it sounds like you're an Arizona guy too. You're going to take the Arizona. I mean, if, if Houston's now laying four and a half for Arizona, I'm going to take Arizona. Okay. 
I'm going to roll with Rob on this one. And uh, this is such a homer pick. We're going to look back at this and go, are you freaking kidding me? Like, we scored 10 points in three quarters with Khalil Tate, and we took Arizona anyway against Houston. But I do think that there will be some adjustments that this team's going to make. Uh, they clearly learned their lesson, hopefully, um, on what does not work with Khalil Tate, and that is uh, in this offensive line, for that matter. So give me Arizona, and I will take the points. Saturday, 10 a.m. on Fox, UCLA against Oklahoma. Oklahoma boat race just friggin punched Lane Kiffin in the mouth uh, Ryan Ringdahl sent me a, a text that said <laughs> Lane Kiffin wore his business suit because he knew Oklahoma was going to give him the business uh, they really came out and just uh, blew the doors off there was a lot of questions uh, with the new quarterback and obviously Lincoln Riley and, and FAU who Oklahoma faced had a uh, some talented players there including a, an Oklahoma transfer who ended up being their quarterback they face UCLA at home UCLA friggin lost to Cincinnati Cincinnati guys what the heck happened Rob uh what happened was is they got dominated on both sides of uh, the line of scrimmage uh which we talked about quite a bit <laughs> leading up to the season um and then Wilton Spike uh got pulled for uh Dorian Thompson Robinson and that was it uh and Robinson looked looked pretty good he just uh his receivers did not help him out a lot to be fair, Spate got hurt. I'm uncertain how much they, they called it concussion protocol. So, you know, like I'm just going to take their word for it on that front. Um, with that said, uh, <laughs> like I feel bad for uh, Devin Monster, who I think a lot of people at UCLA would have been okay with if he was their starting quarterback and he does not uh, crack that two, uh, that top two there. You know, it's interesting. This UCLA defense held Cincinnati to 110 yards passing. It's just on the ground. Cincinnati rushed for 195 four yards three touchdowns they uh and they freaking uh sacked us uh, ucla five times with eight tackles for a loss that is not good our biggest concern rick when we were talking about ucla was the the play of the trenches really whether or not ucla could put together a run game if you recall like arizona ran all over this team last year as did every other team in the pac-12 um what does chip kelly do here and uh what, what were your thoughts when you saw that score pop up um, you know, I, I was only watching the game out of the corner of my eye. I had it on in the background. I was doing some other things to get ready for, for the Arizona game. Um, but I kept looking over and I kept seeing, you know, Cincinnati on top. And I was just like, is this real life? Is this really happening? Chip Kelly's just going to come back to college football and do this to me after I did such a good job of talking him up in our preview. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a little shocking. And, and when I really sat down, I looked at the box score. It, it looked like uh, UCLA's secondary. Um, really let them down on defense and that doesn't bode well uh, for them in this Oklahoma game because I think Oklahoma has another one of the premier wide receivers in, in college football and Marquise Brown um, and I think that he's going to have a heck of a night heck of a or heck of a day heck of a morning against UCLA <laughs> UCLA is going to have a big serving of Marquise Brown for breakfast <laughs> i watched about three quarters of this game and it was depressing first of all cincinnati is not a good team and that was the reason no. i took the points was i'm like okay whatever like yeah you know ucla has a lot of major problems but it's cincinnati and this team is not good on many areas and they still just came out and shoved him around it was funny the announcer there was a couple situations at the end of the game where cincinnati had to go for it to win the game and the announcer was so conservative like he would have voted for Barry Goldwater that's how conservative he was on these like 
like play calls. He's like, I can't believe they're going for it on fourth down. I'm like they're on the road against the Pac-12 team. Like, of course you go for it when you you're like. What are you talking about? Um, so say so he's like, got to kick the field goal here. Like you freaking crazy. Um, give Chip Kelly the chance to come down and score in the last two minutes. No, thank you. Uh, a couple of things to point out here on UCLA's front. Um, Thomas Robinson, 15 for 25, zero touchdowns, uh, 0.5 yards per carry at a fumble. Um, but here is like, they made the most out of Casimir Allen and he was somebody to uh, Ryan's credit who did this UCLA preview was talking about Casimir Allen was like a three-star recruit that Chip Kelly basically went to the track coach and said, who are we recruiting together? Like who runs track incredibly well and is a good football player. And Allen had 103 yards and a touchdown on the ground, which was helpful because Ola Fundme had nine carries for 13 yards. He averaged 1.4 yards a carry. That is insane. Like you can, that is unacceptable for a UCLA offense. So, uh, just a lot of problems here. I'm going to take whatever the points are with Oklahoma. There is not a line yet because they're trying to figure out whether uh, Thompson Robinson or Wilton Spate is a quarterback. So there's no line, but uh, uh, we will post that. Basically, if you can follow us on 12 pack radio on Twitter and we'll post that up. But uh, guys, let me ask you this, Rick, what would you set the line at if you were in Las Vegas? I'd probably set it at about uh, 13 and a half at this point. I think two touchdowns is, um, a pretty solid spread. Anytime you have two power five teams going against each other that are so vastly different like this. Um, yeah. So I'd probably put it about that, but I'd still take Oklahoma, um, you know, and give up those points because I, I think it's going to be an absolute boat race. So I would based do, on what I've seen. I'd make it oh, 17 and a half to 20. Like, I think that, yeah. that, that UCLA is was, that bad. <laughs> I was going to say like, the preseason model, which I think UCLA is going to go down versus and Oklahoma is going to go up versus has this close to a three touchdown wow. difference between the two. Um, I, yeah, I I'll, I'll take Oklahoma. I mean, if it's anything under 34, 35, I'll take Oklahoma. It was amazing. I mean, just, they got shoved around by this Cincinnati team and you watch it and go, I can't freaking believe this, but it's the trench play. Like that, that was the thing that we talked about all preseason. If you don't have a good defensive line, you don't have a good offensive line and you don't have both of those things. Like we should not believe in you at all. And that is UCLA. So uh, it will be interesting to see how many tackles for a loss Oklahoma has against this offensive line, uh, because it will be Legion. It will be many uh, moving on Saturday, 11 AM on the PAC 12 network, Portland state takes on Oregon, uh, Oregon beat both. Bowling Green by about 34 points, uh, 58 to 24. Um, Bowling Green threw, here's something to keep an eye out for, for 253 yards and three touchdowns. They ran the ball for 113 yards. Um, and this wide receiver that I'd never heard of torched them, Scott Miller, uh, 13 receptions, 166 yards, and two touchdowns. With that said, Justin Herbert had an awesome game, 281 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions. One thing to keep an eye out for was only 10 through 10 to 21 through the air. So, um, didn't didn't connect. He wasn't as accurate as you would want him to be. But basically, every pass he threw for was like for twenty yards. He averaged thirteen point four yards per carry. I'm sorry, per reception. But a lot of those were like twenty, twenty, thirty, thirty five, twenty, um, and then you know a couple like two yards and three yard things. So he really did like if they went big, uh, they connected and it was awesome. And anything in between really wasn't awesome at all. Uh, rushing. If you take a look at this box score, it's super freaky. Like there was really nobody that had more than 13 carries and Troy die. Rob had seven carries. What the heck was that? Yeah. I, I have no idea what they were doing right there. Actually. <laughs> just... 
it's awesome. I mean, Troy Dye, Troy Dye obviously is like an All-American uh, candidate at linebacker. He's an incredible athlete. But I saw that and like he had more carries than like some of the people we had projected as like second and third on their depth chart. So uh, that was super weird. Jalen Jelks had him a heck of a game, nine tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, quarterback hurry. Um, Ugo Amadi, five tackles, two tackles for loss, a pass deflection, interception, and a defensive touchdown. This is why we love Oregon. That defensive coordinator, uh, Jim Lovett, is awesome. They have some talent here, but um, but they get Portland State. So like whatever. Uh, Rick. Any any comments on this uh, boat race of Bowling Green and uh, this possible destruction of Portland State this coming week? There's a reason why Vegas doesn't have lines for FCS teams, and uh, Oregon's going to prove why. Six touchdowns, uh, Rob. What do you think here? <laughs> it's <can't> probably. Not <laughs> uh, that, <but laughs> I mean, that's forty-two points. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, they. I mean, Bowling Green is practically an FCS team, so. <laughs> sure that sounds about right <laughs> the one thing i want well anything that stood out for you in this game when you were looking at the stat this, this by the way in all um in all honesty i didn't watch this game it was on while there's uh, the ucla game was on i was watching more of that so um i didn't i mean, was following it pretty closely in terms of the stats but i didn't get to see the game but anything stand out for you you know in just terms of what you saw or what you saw on the stat line no i mean not, not a lot really stood out in like i mean the Oregon, I think, was sloppy at times. I think they um, had vastly superior athleticism to Bowling Green, and um, they were able to really, you know, lean on that and make it show. But I mean, as you pointed out, I mean, Herbert's completion percentage was not great in the game. Oregon, we won't really know how good they are until they play Stanford uh, in a couple weeks because they have San Jose State after this and san jose state is also not a very good football team yeah they have tissue paper soft uh, non-conference oh, yeah. it's, it's crazy it's ridiculous <laughs> uh rick anything else on oregon here um i guess probably the only thing was i, w- I was a little surprised that at who their feature back was and in, in cj verdell um that wasn't something i was really expecting but he he got the ball 13 times out of the backfield so um we'll have to see if that's going to be their guy moving forward yeah, they had a younger guy kind of step up. It'll be interesting to see if he can produce against better teams. Uh, next game, Colorado. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Saturday, 12.30 p.m. on ABC. Colorado is a four-and-a-half-point underdog at Nebraska. Colorado just beat the crap out of Colorado State, and our friends at the Free Balling Podcast took every possible moment to make sure that everybody knew that that happened. Steven Mondes had an excellent game, 338 yards, 13.5 yards per catch, four touchdowns, one interception. He also had a touchdown on the ground. He, uh, he had three carries for 34 yards. He did fumble the ball once, but that's about as good as you're going to expect from Steven Montez, and that was pretty exciting. Um, the uh, Colorado team rushed for 258 yards. Trayvon McMillan, who, uh, Rob, you and I had talked about a little bit on whether or not he could step it up. Ten uh, carries for 103 yards. That's 10 yards a carry and a touchdown. He did break one for about 49 yards, but the player to keep a lookout for is Lacusa Chenault. Uh, 11 receptions, 211 yards, 19 yards per catch at a touchdown. He is a freak, and he's somebody that the free balling guys talked about and he certainly has delivered the goods and it looks like this uh, wide receiving core has what did you think about the offensive uh, performance here for Colorado Rob oh, I thought they were fantastic I mean it, if you look at this game last year I mean in CSU did, did not have a great defense last year I mean the, the performance by Colorado in you know the Colorado State game last year versus this game is night and day um, that said 
Colorado State, I mean, great assault. Colorado State, we don't think is very going to be very good this year. They already got you know their doors blown off <laughs> by Hawaii uh, on defense. So um, I think I think we'll get to see a, you know a lot more in this game here of, of how you know Colorado's uh, going to look against uh, more solid competition. Rick, were you impressed by one Stephen Montez? Uh, yeah, I was really impressed by Stephen Montez, and I'd just like to point out that this is. Uh, the Colorado Colorado State game was a game that I got wrong um, in, in, in the pick'em, um, or not in the pick'em, but in the in the spread. Um, and it was because ESPN had the wrong spread posted for the entire week. They had Colorado State as the favorite at minus seven and a half. So I, I got really confused. Um, it, I thought that they were saying that Colorado State was. Uh, I don't know. Either way, I messed up when we were doing the podcast, and I picked. Colorado State but when I placed my real life bets I did bet on Colorado they covered all things were good it was one of the few bright spots of the weekend for me. <laughs> a couple things to keep a lookout for here on the defensive side Colorado gave up 181 yards on the ground and one of the big concerns for us was with will this defensive line stop any team on the ground and it's not like Colorado State was a world beater in terms of their rush rush offense so uh, another thing to keep a lookout for uh, anytime they play teams that can rush uh, this could get bad but let's take a look it's the first game of the year just something to keep an eye out for they only gave up three tackles for a loss which was exciting Um, but look at this Nate Landman um, 16 tackles, two tackles for a loss, a pass deflection, a quarterback hurry, and an interception. He had himself a heck of a game. Um, the, I'm sorry, Colorado only gave up three tackles for a loss. So um, this defensive front, this front seven, let's uh, let's see if they can actually put some more pressure on these teams moving forward. You know, Nebraska is like this is kind of a rivalry game too, which is crazy. Like Rick, you lived on the border for a while. Uh, I didn't live in the border. I lived in Lincoln, <laughs> which is <laughs> not even the border at all. About three and a half hours from the border, uh, but coincidentally, where the University of Nebraska is, uh, and that's who we're talking about. So yeah, yeah, I did. Like, if you're going to look at this game, mm-hmm. you got Scott Frost coming back. Everybody's making a big deal of this. Mm-hmm. Is there any way that Nebraska loses this game to Colorado? Oh, there's definitely lots of ways Nebraska can lose this game to Colorado. Um, it was actually interesting because that you know this is the first time that Colorado's played Nebraska in you know a number of years since they were all you know in the in that same conference together. Um, and so yeah, you're right. This was traditionally a rivalry game. Like if you ask Nebraska fans like which fans they hate the most, they'll always tell you Colorado fans. Um, you know, and I don't know if it was like a big brother syndrome thing. They're always like, they wanted to be our rival, but they're not our rival. You know, like Nebraska fans just have kind of like, uh, this air about them that you just have to kind of, uh, live in an experience (laughs) in order to understand. But, um, my, my buddy actually texted me today. He's like, you got to talk to me about Colorado, man. Um, you know, should we be worried? And it was because Nebraska's game got rained out this weekend. They yeah. were not able to, to to play their game against Akron. The game was canceled. They're not going to be able to make it up. And that was one of the games that Nebraska was going to be relying heavily on this year in order to become bowl eligible. So this Colorado game very quickly became a must-win game for this Nebraska team that hasn't played yet and is going to have Scott Frost 
um, a freshman quarterback, um, the, the kid from California named Martinez. So there's a lot of questions about this Nebraska team. And I think Colorado has kind of answered a lot of the questions that we had coming into the season. So it, it, I think it's going to be a great game and one that's definitely on my slate of games to watch this weekend. Hey, Rob, what did your numbers have projected for Nebraska's defense? I might be putting it on the spot here. Uh, hold on just a second. Uh, just for some filler, actually. Like, So the preseason model has Colorado with only a 27% chance to win in this game, and obviously that's going to change once I run the, the, the data for this week. So I would expect it to be a little bit closer to Nebraska as maybe a 60% favorite in the game once the uh, once I get all the numbers run. But I would definitely, if I was looking at one of the takeaways, is Colorado let Colorado State run the ball pretty effectively we had big questions about that colorado defensive line and i I don't think that they had a very good game against not a very good um csu offense so scott frost can definitely run an offense that runs the football effectively um uh, nebraska was graded out as being the 51st best defense by projection for uh, this coming year so um that's not not great not terrible (laughs) yeah Freshman quarterback, though, ugh. I'm no, gonna, I mean, it's big question marks. I mean, can Frost put him in positions to where he's, you know, asked to do what he can do and not anymore? Give me give me Nebraska. I'm going to take Nebraska here. Uh, they're at home. I know the freshman quarterback thing, but the fact that their defense projects that quasi-high um, gives me a little bit more confidence on that front. Uh, Rick, who are you going to take? I'm going to go ahead and take Colorado. Um, I wasn't very high on them coming into the season but um i think that offense has really shined um granted against colorado state but um i I think that they have a lot of pieces in place to to really put up some big scores this year and nebraska's defense you know ranked 51st or not i I lived there for five years i can't tell you three players on the team right now so um i I know that they've lost a lot over the last two years um and they're still kind of rebounding from mike riley um, not having recruited up to to their uh, to their caliber, so um, I like Colorado with the upset a little bit here. I might sprinkle a little bit on the money line. Ooh, I love that sprinkle. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, a lot of sprinkle me, sprinkle, sprinkle me, yeah. I got a little sprinkle on there. All right, all right. I'm all about the sprinkle. For those that uh, haven't been part of Wildcat Radio, the sprinkle is basically where you take the spread and then you just put a little. Bring a little money on the money line so you get a little bit more of that uh, the umph when uh when they come through and win uh rob who are you gonna take here so i'll take it's looking at and this may get updated throughout the week but it looks like nebraska is a four and a half point favorite i'll take nebraska at home with that okay yeah suck it rick <laughs> all right let's go on uh auburn versus i'm sorry that's not true. Uh, Washington, Saturday, 2 p.m. on Pac-12 Network, takes on North Dakota. They get them at home. I loved this Washington-Auburn game. Uh, Rick, did you have a chance to watch this? Yeah, I watched it from start to finish. It was the game that I was looking forward to most this weekend, um, other than the Arizona game. Um, and, I, you know, I, I was not disappointed. Um, I, I know that we talked a lot about Auburn boat racing Washington. I was really glad that nothing like that happened. Um, and again, this was something, you know, where I thought a couple of things would have went Washington's way differently and, and they definitely would have won this game. There was that touchdown that came off, uh, you know, in the third quarter, um, they were, but they were right there. They, they proved that they, they weren't, uh, necessarily soft, uh, like the PAC 12 is starting to develop a little bit of a reputation for, 
and uh, I thought that they represented well, and they should have their opportunity to boat race North Dakota this weekend as as their reward. Oh, they're going to destroy them, Rob. What were your thoughts on this game? It was really, I, I loved it. It was, it was exactly what you want college football to be. But from an X's and O's standpoint, and people that stood out to you, what were your major impressions? Yeah, I, th- I thought Washington played pretty well, and I, I thought they, uh, you know, acquitted the conference pretty well. And their defense, I think, in particular, was a bit of a surprise. They um, slowed Auburn down more on the run than I thought they were going to be able to. I thought Stidham, uh, the Auburn quarterback, had a underrated, very good game. Um, he had a very high completion percentage um, against that Washington defense. Now he wasn't throwing it as deep. Um, as maybe he could have, but uh, I thought it was. Uh, I thought they had a mostly had a pretty good game against him, though. And being able to to line up and shut down that Auburn running game and Malzahn, you know, is a bit of a run first guy. Um, I, I thought it bodes well for this Washington defense coming in because the big question we had is, do they have any difference makers on on the line? And though I would say I I didn't see anybody stand out maybe as the who's going to be that difference maker on the line. I thought so overall as a unit they look solid. Washington. I thought looked like a top 10 team and really did acquit themselves. Like you mentioned, the one thing that I would bring up is that the Washington offensive line is good. The, and and they were missing Trey Adams, obviously the Clemson defensive line is phenomenal. I mean, just the amount of pressure they were able to put the way that they were able to stop both miles Gaskin who averaged four yards carry and uh, Savon Ahmed, who is the next coming of miles Gaskin. He is a very talented young wide receiver for Washington. But I just, the fact that Clemson, not Clemson, the fact that um, Auburn was able to bottle them up and consistently get in the backfield against a really talented, experienced offensive line was really impressive on my front. Uh, the one thing I'd also mention, though, is that um, Cam, uh, like you mentioned, Cam Martin, the running back for Auburn, 80 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. So freaking Washington State's front seven really held their own on their front, too. This was just a really great uh, game to watch. Um, so... And, and Washington's not going to face, I mean, maybe, you know, until they get to the Pac-12 title game and if Porter Gustin stays healthy all season, they're not going to face anything like that Auburn defensive line for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, like maybe... No, not even USC, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like they... they USC doesn't have three Port Augustans, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well, we'll get to them in a bit. Um, okay, next game we have uh, Saturday, 4.30 on ESPN News. Utah is a 10.5-point favorite at Illinois. I'm sorry, at Northern Illinois. Utah beat Weber State 41-10. to This game started slow. Weber State kind of came out in front. They had a couple special teams plays. They were able to really bottle up this offense for a bit, and then Utah just kind of stepped on the gas Tyler Tyler Huntley 24 of 39 passing 253 yards six and a half yards per uh, reception which is kind of low actually so he wasn't like he was slinging the ball around but four touchdowns and an interception of course, of course, freaking Utah, uh, 294 yards on the ground. Zach Moss was a boss. 13 carries, 150 yards, 9.4 yards per carry, a touchdown. He had a touchdown in the air as well. Um, these wide receivers are these wide receivers, though. Like, <laughs> look at Utah. I'm like, yep, that's, I watched this game almost in its entirety. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're okay. They're always okay. They're never not going to be okay. Um, so I, it's just kind of a, it could be a weakness in the future. But this Utah defense, 11 tackles for a loss, seven pass deflections, um, really some solid production against a bad team. But uh, did anybody else watch this game? 
course I did. It was Thursday yeah. night. What else was I going to do? Yeah, I it too. <laughs> What'd you think, Rick? Um, it, it, like, like I said, you know, I was, I was probably more impressed by Tyler Huntley than anything else. Um, I did think he played probably a little above his level, um, and that he'll probably come back down to earth, maybe not necessarily against this Northern Illinois team this week, but, um, definitely once PAC 12 play enters, I think that that, uh, Utah offense is going to have a little bit more trouble moving the ball through the air, um, which will ultimately probably decide their season as far as the PAC 12 is concerned. But, um, uh, this week against Northern Illinois, I, I, I really like them to go in and put up some points again. Rob, I know you pay no attention to FCS schools, but uh, what did you think about the game? Well, I mostly regretted watching anyone play an FCS school after. <laughs> I usually have a rule, like I don't watch teams play FCS <laughs> teams because it's so unequal. Um, yeah, I, I thought, you know, Utah was sloppy um, early. Uh, they managed to come back and turn it on late. Uh, I don't I don't really have any major takeaways other than like Utah mauled Southern Utah, their other FCS opponent last year on offense. And then their offense didn't look anything like that for the rest of the year. So um, Utah has got a really, they should have an easy time against Northern Illinois, but um, I'm, I'm going to wait and see what they look like against Washington till I, uh, which should be a quite a stiff test. <laughs> I'm nervous about this Northern Illinois game. Don't. It's- Really? You don't think so? No. And I'll tell you why. Northern Illinois is the prime example of why you don't listen to ESPN experts throughout the week as you're getting ready to set up your your gambling lines. Um, Because all week I was like, Iowa is going to blow out Northern Illinois. This, what what was it, like an 11 and a half, 12 point spread, something like that. I was like, it's not even going to be close. And all week I had to listen to these ESPN experts say, Northern Illinois, looking for the upset against Iowa. You know, it, it, like it got into my head and I ended up betting on Northern Illinois and I'm lost. Obviously they got boat raced by a really bad Iowa team. Like this is not a good Iowa team this year. Um, and I think Utah's going to be able to, to do even more things offensively than that Iowa team was able to do. So um, stay away from this Northern Illinois yeah. team, man. They're just going to break your heart. Even in the preseason model, Utah had a has an eighty two percent shot to win the game, oh, and that's going to go up once I get to run with the the data. So even with this on the road, Utah should should be plenty good enough to go in and, and win this game pretty handily. Is there a line on this one yet? Yeah, ten and a half. Utah's a ten and a half. half. Yeah, I'll at the house. Ooh, okay. All right. You you all convinced me I was going to take Northern Illinois, but uh, okay. Riding with the favorites again, which is never a good thing, but let's do it, especially the road the road dogs. Ooh, buddy. Uh, okay, cool. Well, let's, as uh, so we have six more games to get to, but before we do, we have been running a Pac-12 Eliminator Pool, and we've had more than 70 entries, which is awesome. So thanks to everybody for joining. Basically, the premise was you take, uh, you pick one team a week, and if they win, you advance. And if they lose, then uh, you are out and you can only pick one team once uh, in the season. And we had our first eliminatees. Uh, six people, man. It was crazy. Uh, some people picked UCLA and two people took uh, Arizona. And yes, you know, it's it's great that we have uh, eliminatees. But what we try to do on this podcast is to um, memorialize the people that um, have have departed. And so uh, in, in, in good faith, give, give us a moment here. Hunter Brent Helmsley. The sexual intellectual. Bear Down Steve. 
Mitch Cat. BT from the Dog Pod. Sorry. Sorry that you lost your life so soon. John Linus from the Free Ballin' Podcast. Buffalo Matt. And Metro Cat 8. You will be missed. Look at that timing, too, right? right? <laughs> it's like we rehearsed it or something. Practice that in the mirror for about eight hours before we started this. Um, no, there's still about, uh, you know, math, whatever, but like still about 64 entries in the Eliminator pool. Get your picks in. When you do, make sure to give me your team name. We have so many entries, and I'm like manually putting them in, and we're going to change this for the next contest. But we have so many entries this year that it's really hard to like figure out whose name and team name. It's just, just put your team name in, whether you do it over Twitter or through email, which is at Wildcat Radio AZ at gmail.com, Wildcat Radio AZ at gmail.com, or over Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Thanks everybody for doing this. It's really fun. We like doing the Eliminator Pool, and somebody's got to beat Rick. Somebody's got to break his streak. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Moving forward. Saturday, 5 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, Southern Utah at Oregon State. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. I'm just really sad that Jake Luton got injured right away, and I didn't see the play. Uh, did you see on the, the big screen, Rob, you were there at the Oregon State-Ohio State game. Did you see the injury? Like, what happened? Uh, he just got, he took a shot uh, and kind of got driven into the ground, um, and he, uh, he ended up with a concussion. Um, so he stayed in for uh, a couple of plays and then uh, ended up with a, a fumble that hit him in the hands off a snap, and uh, after he came off the field, they realized he was experiencing a concussion. So uh, he was pulled, and uh, Connor Blount came in and actually given the talent disparity played pretty well yeah might have taken the job uh, 12 of 19 169 yards two touchdowns zero interceptions i was surprised that oregon state was able to move the ball as much as they did and if you were to tell me rob and i want to get to you because you were actually there and watched the game that if oregon state were to drop 31 points on ohio state i would have said oh of course <laughs> they're going to cover a 34 point spread freaking ohio state <laughs> scored 77 points man that's insane uh how long were you there at the game Oh man. So I stayed through the first half, um, when it was the heat index was above one Oh four. Um, and there were sort of some chunky Ohio state fans dropping like flies and being hauled out on stretchers. <laughs> so oh my. It was hot. Uh, and then actually there was a, there was a thunderstorm moving in, uh, and there ended up like we left and then there ended up being a, uh, uh, two hour rain delay, uh, for lightning. Uh, so it was, I was quite happy to have missed most of the second half. But what I do want to say is, is that like people have, have sort of assumed looking at that 77, that Oregon state's points, like all came in garbage time. And let me tell you, they did not, <laughs> uh, Oregon state did put up some points in that first half. I think they scored two touchdowns in the first half. Um, they were pretty watchable at times. Um, and, and the play calling was a definite step up. Uh, with this new uh, regime uh, up there in Corvallis, so uh, there there is some light ahead, and you know, in the tunnel for Beaver fans, I think. Yeah, I was really impressed by how they showed out. I mean, not the defense, obviously, but the fact that they were able to move the ball. Artavius Pierce, eleven carries for 168 yards and two touchdowns against this vaunted Ohio State defense. That is uh, that yeah. is impressive. Like, uh, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not buying that they they got Ohio State defense best shot though. Like, I'm. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, no matter how you slice it, there's a two-hour game delay. You put up 77 points. Yeah, those points didn't all come in garbage time, but this Ohio State defense wasn't uh, wasn't playing like they're going to play against Michigan this year. You know what I'm saying? Um, And the biggest tragedy of the weekend really is this. You know, you said the the line was eventually 34. I bet this game very early on, and I got Oregon State plus 38. And I still wasn't able to cover. Oh so. no! <laughs> yeah, thirty-eight points, man. You got to figure at least they were going to come to play, and the offense certainly did. But let's move on. The only other thing to mention is this is certainly the Survivor Pool, like you know, the sponsored game, Southern Utah versus Oregon State. If, if you don't pick Oregon State, uh, I don't know how I'm going to help you later on in the year in terms of picking your Pac-12 games. So get, get all your uh, smoke them all you got. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Saturday, five twenty p.m. on Fox. This is the game. Game of the week in the Pac-12. USC is a four-point underdog going on the road to Palo Alto to play Stanford. Stanford thirty-one, San Diego ten. Um, you know, quite interesting game. I thought KJ Costello played really well, like we mentioned. Uh, Rick, let's go with you first. Uh, your your general impressions on hand, how Stanford handled San Diego State and uh, how you think they're going to handle a USC team that struggled to really do anything for a while against the UNLV team. Yeah, I thought both teams actually played um, above expectation for me. So I think that this is going to be a really good game. I'm I'm still going back and forth as to who I really think is going to come out on top. I think the Stanford offense is is going to be better than than what we originally predicted, and I think that the Stanford or the USC defense is going to be a lot better. The, it, Porter Gustin looks like he didn't miss a step as far as his knee injury was concerned. So um, you know, if USC's defense is firing on all cylinders. It's it's gonna it's gonna be a really good game. I'm 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 looking forward to it. Rob, if somebody were to have told you that Stanford would have had 50 rushing yards against San Diego State and that Bryce Love would have averaged 1.6 yards a carry, like you take you're like, oh, there's no way that they won that game, right? Yeah, but I don't get me wrong. Like the legend of KJ Costello did grow last season, but no, I would I would have assumed they lost that game. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, just they bottled him up. I don't expect that to happen in further games, uh, but just kind of shows you why coaching matters. I mean, they really did do a great job uh, making sure that Bryce Love was limited as much as possible. KJ Costello though, really did take advantage of the Stanford tall receivers. Like that's not going to happen as much against USC secondary. They also have tall <laughs> secondary players that aren't five six that are covering. You know, oh, I don't know, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who had hundred like 226 yards and three touchdowns. That guy could not be stopped. Uh, I, I think this is uh, – I, I want to take Stanford. I was not impressed with USC. They let uh, UNLV run that ball way more than they should have. On this podcast, we had previewed UNLV. We basically said two things. Their quarterback is good, and their running back is good, and then everybody else sucks. And, the, and said quarterback and running back really uh, took it to USC. It took them a long time to get things together. I also thought that uh, JT Daniels really had tunnel vision on uh, um, uh, is it Amon Ross St. Brown? Like he just kept focusing on him over and over again. I think smart defenses are going to eliminate that option. And I was not impressed with the uh, with the USC's running game. It was interesting that Stephen Carr really didn't see a ton of carries, which is uh, really surprising for me. What did you think, Rob? I thought. I mean, I definitely thought that USC struggled. Uh, more than we expected in this game. Uh, UNLV, for what they have, I mean, they do run the ball very well. They're not much of a throwing team. Um, I'm surprised USC gave up 300 yards on the ground, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess I would chalk it up maybe to a little bit of first game jitters on USC. I'm, I'm less high on 
uh, I, I think more of their problems are easily correctable than um, some of Stanford's offensive problems. That that game plan that uh, Rocky Long put in, if he would have had taller corners, uh, they would have easily won that game against Stanford. The one thing to keep in mind is that Stanford gave up yards on the ground like they normally do. Uh, well, not they normally, have. but they like they have in the last year. Uh, 24 carries for 158 yards and a touchdown from Justin Washington, who's San Diego State. is That's their premier running back. So it'll be interesting to see. Like Again, I wasn't as impressed with USC's running game, um, and it looked like their offensive line was kind of out of sorts uh, multiple times. So I give me Stanford. I think at home, like I'm going to take them. I know that the farm isn't really intimidating but it still is a home game and i think stanford is the better team here what do you think rick what's the spread uh four um yeah i'll ride with you bryant let's go with stanford you talked me into it nice nice there we go rob any other like thoughts on stanford usc this is kind of the premier game i guess we should have broken this down a little bit more seeing how like it's the first conference game we have this year um you know what are you looking for in this this matchup here i mean i I think that I mean, I tweeted this out in the San Diego State game that USC is going to run the ball all over Stanford. I mean, this is basically the same line that USC lined up with twice and ran the ball down Stanford's throat last season. So um, I actually, I'll take USC in this game. I I think, like I said, like I think USC's problems are a little more correctable. Uh, I think Stanford's receivers are going to have a tough, a much tougher time than they had. I, I do, that's not to say that I think USC can just show up and implement Rocky Long's game plan and expect it to work, but um, I do think that USC can, you know, figure out some of the problems that they had against uh, UNLV. And I just, I, I'm not, I'm still not sold on uh, Stanford's defense. That if you if you look at all the, you know, if you said there's, you know, four units here, like they're going to be far and away the weakest unit on the field. Yeah, that front seven, we've talked about it over and over again. It'll just be, I think that secondary is going to shut down Daniels. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can take advantage of that and put some pressure on a freshman quarterback in his first game on the road. I just, uh, I was not as, I mean, he was impressive for a true freshman, you know, playing at home, but he wasn't as impressive as thinking like, oh man, this guy is like super, super going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the Pac-12. And I think that's might what you might be what you need uh, to beat a Stanford team in terms of their secondary. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to do that. So give me, give me Stanford. Um, Next game, Saturday, 7.15 p.m. ESPN2. Cal is a two-and-a-half-point underdog against BYU. We just saw BYU uh, beat Arizona. Um, I just It was so weird, this Cal game. Did anybody watch this in person? No, I, I, I was following along. And I was actually thankful that I did not force myself to watch it. <laughs> I, I actually teased... Um, I, I teased USC and Cal, and, Cal, and USC was certainly the more interesting game because Cal had this game in the bag for a long period of time until uh, North Carolina came back, and then I kind of was trying to flip over. But I did not catch like the majority of this. The next morning I wake up, I look and go, oh, my gosh, they, they played three freaking quarterbacks in this game. Uh, Ross Bowers, 8 for 17, 56 yards. Uh, Chase Garbers, 7 for 13 of 54 yards. And Brandon McIlwain, 1 of 2 for 9 yards. They could not get a, uh, an air attack going against North Carolina. They did, however, have 160 yards on the ground. Patrick Laird had 95 yards, not 
not as well as I thought he would do against a really poor uh, North Carolina run defense. He only averaged 3.3 yards per carry. He did get a touchdown. Uh, There's some flags here, uh, both on the offense uh, and through the air and on the ground. Um, North Carolina was not a good run defense, and uh, (laughs) they couldn't get a ton going against them with their premier back. Plus the fact that they're, they're juggling all of these quarterbacks. Like, it's the old adage you have two quarterbacks you have none they had three in this game like what what was uh, that that doesn't make me confident what do you think rick yeah i think uh byu really proved that they are going to be capable of shutting down the run um against arizona and if california can't get their run game going i i can't really envision their their offense um, being much better than what Tanner Magnum was able to do with BYU. So it's it's definitely an interesting line because I don't want to believe that this BYU team is good, um, but I wasn't very high on California coming into the season either, and I don't really know if that North Carolina game did anything to, to have me start thinking in the opposite direction. So I'm going to listen to what both of you guys have to say before I make my decision, but this is one that I'm going back and forth on. Wait, what say you, Rob? This is a tough one. I mean, the as bad as the Cal offense played, the defense was pretty good. I mean, they, they did get North Carolina's backup quarterback, but um, it's definitely like, I, I really am a believer in Wilcox and DeRoyter uh, and their, def- you know, their ability to scheme out defensively. So um, I think they can definitely shut down this BYU offense. Um, now the question is, is, if you, if you tell me Ross Bowers is starting and he did not take a snap in the second half and he was not injured. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he people were high on Ross Bowers and Cal, you know, they thought that he'd really taken a big step forward in camp and that, you know, they had, you know, pretty high expectations for him coming into the year and then to play as poorly as he did in the first half. I mean, albeit behind a, a pretty bad offense, some pretty bad offensive line play. Um, and if there's one thing that we saw from this that Arizona game is bad offensive line play against BYU can get you into trouble because it might be the strength of that defense is uh, their defensive line. So uh, this is a this is a tough game to sort out. I mean, just based on pure talent and returning production, um, you know, the model, the preseason model had this at about a, a 73 percent, you know, Cal win probability. I'll I'll take. I'll take Cal in this game just with better talent and, uh, you know, some points. <laughs> I'm going to take BYU. It took Cal four interceptions uh, to seal this game against UNC. Uh, and one thing to keep in mind is UNC had 10 tackles for a loss against Cal, and that is uh, worrisome in terms of that offensive line play. So, uh, th- th- which makes me nervous, though, that your numbers have uh, a <laughs> be interesting to see. And you can uh, obviously visit the website, Wildcat Radio AZ, when the numbers come up. Uh, to see what uh, what the numbers say about this game, but um, I am going to take BYU, particularly at home. That crowd gets up, and it'll be interesting to see if Cal can step up their game to hang with them. Uh, Rick, what do you think? Um, yeah, so I, I'm the type of gambler I always go with my gut, um, and whenever I come across a game that my gut just can't decide, that's when I turn to guys like Rob and their computer models, so um, I'm going to go ahead and hop on with uh, with him and, and go with the California pick. 
All right. All right. Okay. You know, shiny, shiny new object. I understand. I understand. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Moving to, uh, let's see, what time is this? This is 745. I'm surprised this game's so late. 745 ESPN, Michigan State at Arizona State. Arizona State is a six and a half point underdog at home. They just blew the doors off of UTSA. Everything that you wanted to see in this game, if you're a Sun Devil fan, you saw Manny Wilkins, 16 for 24, nine yards, uh, almost 10 yards per uh, throw, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He also ran on the ground for a bit. Eno Benjamin, 16 carries, 131 yards, eight yards per carry and a touchdown. Nikhil Harry, six yards, uh, I'm sorry, six receptions, 140 yards, 23 yards per catch, two touchdowns. They had nine sacks and 15 tackles for a loss and six packs deflections and a freaking interception. This team was on fire and they really took it to a UTSA team that was not good, but uh, I thought many, myself included, thought that they could cover that spread. Really nothing you could say about UTSA, they, except they had 218 yards through the air. That's it. Um, I don't know as much about this this Michigan State team, though, guys. Uh, and it still is ASU. Like, I'm wondering if UTSA is that bad. Um, but, man, like, if right, you always talk about, like, if you're a good team, you beat the tar out of bad teams. And ASU certainly beat the tar out of this bad team. They did everything they needed to, to prove that, uh, you know, at least they have some of their act together. And a six and a half point dog uh, at home in the heat against the Big Ten team, Rob. I want to hear what what you, what you have on the numbers here. To I mean, obviously they'll shift because ASU had such a good performance. But uh, what do you think? I mean, I I think that this is an overreaction to a small sample size on two ends. I mean, ASU looked fantastic against a very bad team. Uh, Michigan State struggled with Utah State, who's a and I. You know, I, I watched Mountain West football. Utah State's not a bad team. Um, Michigan State, however, returns just so much production off of last year's team. Um, I mean, I think they ranked number one in the country in returning production this year. I the, the preseason model had Arizona State having only a 17 percent chance to win this game. Six and a half points just feels crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, everything we still talked about with Arizona State's defense. Um, and offensive line uh, are still true. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I just, even as good as they looked, and I, I am the biggest Nikhil Harry and Manny Wilkins fan who did who went to Arizona that you could imagine. I am, I, I want no part of it. Like, give me Michigan State. <laughs> Rob, or sorry, Rick, was that was that enough to convince you? Yeah. No. I. I mean, I. I don't know enough about this UTSA team to say that, you know, there's high school teams out there that are better than them. Uh, but that's certainly how it felt <laughs> like they, they were only able to put up seven points on this Arizona state defense. That's not going to be the state with this veteran Michigan state team. You have a tremendous quarterback coming to Tempe and, and Brian, the work. Uh, and I think he's going to put in some of the work on this ASU secondary. <laughs> um, and so ASU Sun Devil fans, you may be flying high right now, riding that Herm Edwards bandwagon, but uh, it's time to come crashing back down to earth this weekend. Uh, I hate taking home dogs, man. I just don't like it. Um, and I don't have the numbers with me yet. I just like, I don't see a scenario where Michigan state blows out Arizona state on the road. Um, so how did this? How did you reach this in a like week? Yeah. Though, like how did this, like <laughs> this? You, you like there have been essentially like 
like 12 drives. You've seen 24 drives of these two teams. (laughs) That's true. Right. Like, (laughs) all right. All right. No, you're right. You could say, you could say 48 because you've seen offense and defense, but like, that's not a lot. Like, I mean, everybody expected this to be a blowout in the beginning. You know, when we looked at this game on the schedule, um, no, that's good. You are the company that you keep, so I'm in good company. All right, I'll, I'll take. Uh, I just look at it taking a lot of favors. I hate taking all the favors, uh, but I will take Michigan State on the road against Arizona State. That was uh, that will be a fun game to watch, and it'll be a good nightcap, uh, but not as good as San Jose State versus Washington State, who beat the crap out of Wyoming, man, 41 to 19. This game was close for a couple quarters uh, until Washington State really stepped on the gas, and that's exactly what you want to see with this team. You know, obviously Washington State is a program that has not historically done well with Mike Leach against uh, lower tier programs, particularly on the road and and even more so sometimes at home. Um, And uh, and it looked like that would be the case. Wyoming statistically in the advanced stats has a good defense. Although, Rob, I know you pushed back on that a little bit in terms of the S&P numbers that those were a little too high. Um, With that said, I I, I do think, right, I'm I'm kind of speaking for you right now, but this was still a a good Wyoming defense, right? Yeah, I mean, there's systemically S and P tends to have group of five defenses and BYU about 30 points higher than other advanced stats models do. Um, so Wyoming still graded out as one of the top power or I mean, group of five defenses in the country last year, they just graded out in the thirties in uh, beta rank, uh, which matched up more with ESPN's FBI and uh, Brian Freemuse FBI. Um, but that's the, I mean, this Washington state offense last year was very bad. Um, and to go in with what looked like a, again, another very good Wyoming defense and be able to put up the kind of yards and points they did on them was, they looked good. Uh, and the Washington state defense did not make the Wyoming offense, which has not been good, look good. So yeah. I mean, all in all, like a, a pretty good outing for Washington state. Wyoming only 67 yards through the air, although they did run for 178 yards, but what are you going to do if you hold a team to about under 20, 225 yards, that's not terrible. Uh, I was, you know, I was interested to see, whether or not Washington State was going to be able to put pressure on Wyoming with the loss of Hercules Matafa. They had three sacks, eight tackles for loss, and then three pass deflections in the secondary, which I think is pretty impressive. Uh, as normal, the, the socialist in um, uh, in Mike Leach distributed the ball to everybody, so nobody really stood out. It seems like every game you see like five yards here, five receptions, five receptions, five receptions. Uh, Jamal Williams did have 16 carries on the ground for 82 yards and five yards per uh, carry on his front and a touchdown. So, I mean, basically everything that I wanted to see out of Washington State, I saw. Um, they are a 35 point favorite over San Jose at home. I hate Mike Leach and these big spreads because there are times where he just says, screw it. I'm, we're we're going to put 70 up on this team. And there are, there are games where he goes, screw it. We're a 30 point dog or a 30 point favorite and we're going to lose this game. I'm inclined to take Washington State, but what do you think, Rick? Um, I don't know. The San Jose State team lost to UC Davis last week. The so, Aggies. You know, and it wasn't basketball. It was football. So um, that doesn't bode well for them. But at the same time, like Mike Leach is still scheduled to lose like two games in September and they didn't lose against Wyoming. So I don't know. I don't know if I go with history here, if I go with uh, good old fashioned knowledge. Rob, what do the numbers say initially for this game? Uh, Washington State's a 98.54% favorite. 
before we found out. This is before Washington State went out and beat Wyoming and San Jose State lost to an FCS team. So, Well, and you, um, you put more focus on Wyoming than most of us do because um, you, you lived in Wyoming. So was, was there any alarm bells or anything like – I, I just look at this game and just go, I, mean, I watched the first two quarters of it when it was tight. And then I sl- switched over to the USC game. Um, and then I just like saw Washington state come back, come back, come back, come back. And you're like, Oh man. All right. Now they're, now they're really getting it together. Um, is that kind of what you expected or I, I don't know. It's just, I, I was actually I, pretty impressed. I, I would say that their defensive performance against Wyoming's offense was what I expected. Wyoming's offense has not been good. Um, and basically if you can slow them down, uh, their A and B gap power run game, um, they haven't really been able to throw the ball very well. Um, what was a little unexpected was how well they performed against Wyoming's defense, given where they graded out on offense last year. So I would say I came away, you know, from that game thinking Washington state has a better shot than I thought at a bowl this year. Okay. That's depressing because I took the under six for this season win total with a little <laughs> bit of money. I'm not going to lie. Uh, That's all right. You also took Arizona over on their season win total. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, no. I, I did the push. Thank you. I, pushed, <laughs> I, the, I took the, the sleazy way out and did the push. Um, okay. Um, so, I'm sorry. Are you going to take uh, Washington State? I will. I mean, what the heck. It's uh, it's actually a pretty good line. Um this one it's not like a michigan state asu line that doesn't make much sense like I, I think this is a good line but i'll take washington state i think uh i think they still like are trying to work out some kinks maybe the starters stay in a little longer than expected rick does the pirate and his new crew uh do something with 35 points <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's going to come down to how many times Mike Leach lets uh, this Gardner Minshew kid throw the ball. Uh, he let him throw the ball 57 times against Wyoming. <laughs> My man. Um, so I'm going to be on like Minshew watch. Like, are we going to hit 60? Are we going to hit 70? Um, in which case, yeah, I think that Washington state can blow the doors off of it. I hate taking these really large spreads like this, um, especially if it's a Mike Leach team, but uh, why not? Let's go Washington state all in. All right. Uh, great story that they told during this game, by the way, uh, it was the recruitment of Gardner Minshew. He was going to go to Alabama and just basically learn the offense so he could try to be a coach. And Mike Leach called him and he said, son, how would you like to lead the country in passing yards? <laughs> like, hey, my man, Mike Leach, dude, just laying the wood in terms of uh, being able to recruit these guys. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, all right. Well, there you have it. Uh, stay tuned. Next week, we're going to do the same thing and we'll continue to sharpen the podcast i think the one thing that i want to do is um well certainly as the the conference games come up we'll be able to talk even more about the uh obviously the matchups because we'll know the teams better than the non-conference teams but i think this next week we'll do some more research into the teams uh that are outside of conference that are being played so we'll you know have some commentary on what happened but also even more in terms of the upcoming teams that are being played so stay tuned for that um stay tuned for the run the gambit or run the run the gauntlet contest and we look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks for coming on, guys.